This is Igris, and we have a letter today from Gimel Marcheshvan. And this letter from Gimel Marcheshvan actually made the rounds last week on uh, on various, I, thought, I think it was on Anash.org, a version of it. I think I saw it in the weekly Fabrengen newsletter. And uh, actually, I already had it in our list of things we were going to do. It's right here in our year. It's Gimel Cheshvan. I'm guessing, my guess is the reason why this letter made the rounds now is because people are opening Tavshin Lamedala to find connections to the Yom Kippur War, and they stumbled across this letter. That's my guess. Because the letter is not a new letter. It's been published for, for many years. It was in Mikdash Melech before this, but it's uh, making the rounds now, and it is fantastic. It's very, very special. It's a letter to Remendel Futafas. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of those, but I don't think there are a lot of those in Igris. I don't think a lot of them ended up published. Uh, so this is a relatively rare letter to Reb Mendel. When I say relatively rare, I'm sure there are tens of them, but I haven't seen one yet in our entire, the entire last volume we did, we didn't see a single one. So we have a letter to Reb Mendel, and there's a backstory to this letter. The backstory is that Reb Mendel had come to, to 770. Reb Mendel was in 770, and uh, he was at the time of Mashpia in Kfar Chabad. So he was visiting the Rebbe over Tishrei. He's visiting there for the year Tavshin Lama Dalid. And he went to some Bachrim. He went over to some Bachrim who were learning in 770 who were from Eretz Yisrael. So he talks to some Israeli Bachrim. Can you imagine such a thing? Israeli Bachrim in 770? He found some Israeli Bachrim in 770 in Tishrei Tavshin Lama Dalid. And he told them, it'd be great if you would stop learning in 770 right now and come back to Eretz Yisrael with me after Tishrei because I need some help with the yeshiva. I think that if you come, you can sort of be, Talmud Yashluchim was a thing then, but it wasn't as firmly established as, as it is nowadays. Nowadays, they like put out lists every year of which Talmud Yashluchim go to which places. At the time, it was a more rare arrangement uh, to have Shluchim go from one place to another. There had been, of course, the very famous group that went to Kfar Chabad to strengthen them after the terrorist attack years earlier. There was a group that went to Melbourne, a group that went to South Africa 10 years later, give or take. So there were groups going, but it wasn't as established a practice. But Mendel felt, for whatever reason, that Kfar Chabad could use some strengthening, possibly because it was the middle or shortly after the Yom Kippur War. Uh, but in any event, Remendel felt that the yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael could use some strengthening. So he went to some Bachrim, who were Israelis, who were learning in 770, and said, why don't you come back with me? The Bachrim said, uh, we'd rather stay by the Rebbe. We don't really want to, we don't want to come back. We're excited to be here by the Rebbe. But they, they said that they would come under one condition. They made a Tanai. They made a condition with Remendel. They said that they want the Rebbe to make them formally shluchim. If the Rebbe makes them shluchim to return with him to Eretz Yisrael, they'd be very happy to come. But if they're not coming as shluchim, they would rather stay by the Rebbe. So they make a deal with the Rebbe Mendel. Rebbe Mendel uh, goes to the Rebbe and says, I found some boys who can help strengthen the yeshiva. I want to bring them back. But they have a condition. The condition is that you have to make them your shluchim. The Rebbe gives a very harsh response to this. Uh, and the thing that is strange about this that I have to introduce you to, because it's a question that I think hangs over the entire shir, is why the Rebbe responds so strongly to this, given that there certainly was before this and after this letter, a concept of shluchim, a concept of talmidim ha-shluchim. There's such a concept exists. It existed by the Rebbe. I checked in Sechaz, the Rebbe does use the word shluchim. He used the word shluchim in letters to describe students from Temechetimim who he's sending to learn in other places. These boys were not coming up with something completely new. The Rebbe was at the time, at least sometimes, sending Bachrim who were learning in Yeshiva to go be shluchim kiviyachal, not literal shluchim. They were supposed to be learning over there, but to be shluchim, bachrim shluchim, tamidea shluchim, in those other yeshivas and using the Lushan. But here in our letter, the Rebbe is very upset about this Lushan, and I simply do not know why. I have some suggestions, but I, I really don't have an answer. So we're going to talk about this after. In any event, we're going to read the letter. In the letter, the Rebbe is mitzayin to a sicha. We're going to look at the sicha, and then we're going to talk. That's our plan for today. Here's the letter that uh, came in response to Mendel's request that the Rebbe deputize tamidea shluchim to strengthen his yeshiva. When a student in Temchetimim fulfills the uh, guides, the teachings of his Mashpia, as is explicit in a Sicha from the Rebbe Rashab, there is no such thing as Shlichas by him. He has no Shaykhs to Shlichas. If he's fulfilling the Hayraz of his Mashpia, there is no reason why he should be a Shlich. 
Manafshach. Because it is a Manafshach. A Manafshach is best translated as you lose either way. It's a Manafshach. If he is a true student of Temechet Mimim, according to the will of the Rebbe Rashab, he is not fit for Shlichus. And if Chas V'Shalom, he is not Kiratzen, Chas V'Shalom, and Kiratzen, let's say he's not such a good Bachar, then they're not people who I want to say I'm not willing to send them as my shluchim and say that they're just like me so basically if you're a good enough student to be a shliach then you're not qualified to be a shliach and if you're a bad enough student to qualify for a shliach you're not good enough to be a shliach so the Rebbe says there's no such concept as a good bacher in also being a shliach <clears throat> now as I said a little shocking <clears throat> a little shocking given that the Rebbe did choose Bachram in Temchetim and good Bachram and send them on Shlichas at various times, initially to Kfar Chabad and later on to, to Morocco, to uh, to uh, to Melbourne, to um, to South Africa. I mean, I have a whole list here of the places that the Rebbe sent Bachram Venezuela. Shluchim. Venezuela. Tons of places. And the Rebbe sent them specifically and called them Shluchim after they came back from Kfar Chabad. He held a huge Fabrengen where he said that uh, until Tuesday the following week, they would still be called his Shluchim. Um, <clears throat> the Friedrich Rebbe sent Shluchim. I, I don't I don't understand. Uh, the, I don't understand that level of this letter, and it's open for discussion. What I do want to go into before we discuss that aspect, that aspect of it is is this that the Rebbe's Mitzayin to Kumeforish Vesichas Kavodishes Admedish Vesedin. He says this principle of a, of a student of a of a Tumim being somebody who always fulfills the will of his Mashpia is Meforish in a Sicha from the Rebbe Rashab. Now I went on it's a Chachma. I searched. I couldn't find the Sicha. <clears throat> and uh, so I turned, I, so I got help. I got help. I reached out to a bunch of Mashpiyim. I reached out to like 12 of them and one of them responded. I will tell you, Rabbi Seligson, Rabbi Seligson responded to me. He knew exactly where it was immediately because he is absolutely an encyclopedia of Chassidus. He told me the page. He told me the page number. He knew what that, <laughs> it took him three seconds. Because of course it's here in Tarshan. So I do have the Sicha for us to look at. We'll look at the Sicha that the Dev is talking about here. And it actually, the Sicha has some real interesting side points in it that I think make the share worthwhile, even if we don't figure out the Moskona, because there are some really interesting detours that Ebed Hashav takes in the Sicha. Let me just make this a little bigger. It doesn't seem to want to get bigger. Oh, no, now I made it too big. Two seconds, technical difficulties. Okay. Uh, why is it moving so slowly? Sorry. Okay, I have Tereh Shalom here. <clears throat> this is a Sicha from Tavshin Samach Zayin, Tavresh Samach Zayin, Shin Tavresh Samach Zayin, and uh, it was on Simchas Terah, and it's in Tereh Shalom. <clears throat> he says down here that... Uh, the concerns of trying to fit in with the world, of make the world work for you, are not concerns that Timim have. And maybe that's the beginning of part of our answer to what the Rebbe is saying, is that part of, a, part of what a shliach does is they engage with the world and try to make the world bend to their will and to, uh, and to you know, work within, I don't know, what we would call malchus and chassidus. They're involved in the nitty-gritty, and that's just not shayach to a tamim and tamim Maybe that's part of what the Rebbe is saying. But in any event, he says this, then he says, When it comes to tamim, when it comes to tamim, we, uh, we don't deal with such difficulties. Here's a harsh part. So he said, there's some people for this reason, and then the Rebbe Rashab puts his fingers up and motions like he's cutting his beard off. He doesn't say there are those who cut their beards for this, but he says they make like this, they cut their beards. And they claim this is the will of God. You know, I, I grew up in such an environment. Uh, at, uh, at, at Yeshiva University, at least, there was a rule that you had to shave Arab Shabbos. It was done, it was done, done L'Shem Shemayim, obviously not during Sfirah, but it was done to make yourself look nice. You had to look nice, you had to trim your beards, because they think that they're doing this, according to Ratzon Elyon, Baruch Shem Taim, it is certain that they are mistaken. 
This next one, look, take it or leave it, guys. I know that I'm hitting a lot of people in the room, but once again, this is the Rebbe Rashab, not me. Take it up with him. Kach kipolazakin. This also applies to rolling the beard up under. Saying that that's for God. He's fooling himself. Such a thing is against godliness. Okay. <laughs> After those words, he started leaving. The Rebbe Rashab began to leave. And then he said, the two things I've mentioned, folding up the beard, rolling up the beard, and cutting it, this has nothing to do with Temchetimim, and it is very distant from the Kavana of Temchetimim. This isn't the way to talk to Temchetimim. This is the way I talked about about them. I shouldn't be talking to Temchetimim about this because it has nothing to do with you. The point of Temchetimim is entirely different from such things. Why am I having this conversation with you? So the Rebbe Rashab at that point turns around, comes back, and sits down again. And he smiles. And he says the following. I want to speak just with the Tmimim. So call Tmimim, all the Tmimim come and surround him. And after a, a considerable silence, the Rebbe Rashab begins to talk. He says, so now that Rebbe Rashab is alone with the Tmimim, he wants to talk to them about things that matter to them. Because he doesn't want to talk about beards and things. That's for the Baal He wants to talk to the Tmimim. He says, If we want to understand anything going on down here, we really need to think deeply about what is going on Lamaila. You can tell this is very much a Tmimim related talk. He's not talking Avedah. Now he's talking Askala, but telling them that if you ever want to understand Avedah, you got to know the Askala. He says there's two levels in light. So then he goes on to explain that there's the Aramashvi and the Aramakabal, and he clarifies the point. I'm just going to read this outside so we can keep moving. He clarifies the point that a lot of people think that the Mashpia is the light and that the Kli is the Makabal. But he says that's not really the case. The Kli is complete darkness. It's not really, uh, it doesn't have any light in it at all. It certainly is not a Makabal. The ultimate Makabal is actually a different kind of light, but there's two kinds of Ur. There's an Ur of a Mashpia and an Ur of a Makabal. Anyway, he doesn't get to finish his idea. At this point, the Rebbe Rashab stopped feeling well. He was sickly. He didn't feel well. At some point, I think they brought him some cold water. Maybe is that what this is saying? I'm not sure. In any event, he wasn't feeling well, and he ended up having to go home. But then after some he wrote out what he wanted to say to these students. And part of that was that they need to submit themselves to the Mashpia and to And that is what follows. What follows is actually um, a very reliable source. This is from the Rebbe Rashab's Ksav Yad about what he wants people to do regarding Mashpiyam. And we're going to skip the beginning, even though the Rebbe Rashab would not appreciate that because he specifically said that we need to understand the Haskalah in order to get to the Aveda. But we, in our fashion, are going to jump right through the Haskalah and scroll down to where the, the, the Rebbe Rashab says the Aveda. But I copied it over for you. And if you are indeed a Tamim, you should probably read the Haskalah as well. In any event, we're going to go right to the Aveda. The Aveda is down here. <clears throat> so in addition to everything I just told you, which was a long Kabbalistic explanation of Mashpia and Makabal and how two errors can work, what you really need to know is not so much how a Mashpia works, you need to know how a Makabal works. So he says, I'm going to explain to you how a Makabal works, and this is not terribly uh, Haskalidic, he's going to explain in, in, uh, in Aveda what a Kabbalah is, what a Makabal is. If you want to know what it means to receive, to be a makabal, it means you give yourself over completely. That's complete ismasus, complete surrender. When he receives, when a makabal receives a certain uh, worthwhile message, uh, a, a concrete message, he's going to at least need to use his brain in order to record, in order to understand and internalize the message. So you can't say, I'm turning off my brain, you won't understand your mashpia. But if you, when you're listening to the mashpia talk, you need to you need to uh, use your brain at the very least to understand what he's saying. But at that point, after you understand what he says, turn off the sense of self. 
In other words, that is, in other words, the person who is the Makabal should be using his mind only to understand the material. Without adding on with any of his own understanding. By the way, this is not just a Mashbiya Makabal relationship. Anybody who has a, anybody who's ever listened to a shear or listened to somebody else talking and done it effectively knows that this is necessary. A complaint you have in the secular world is that there are certain people, many people, who the whole time you're talking, they're trying to think of their response and what they're going to add on to what you're talking. He's saying here, what is the brain of a macabre for? A macabre's brain is to understand the information coming in, not to begin putting frills on it. Putting frills on it is only for much later after you've had time to sit over the information. This is the best way to receive information. Also, I recall hearing from uh, people who were um, from various chesim of the Rebbe, that this was the only way to absorb anything that Rebbe was saying, that if they, if they tried to insert their own thoughts, it didn't work. They had to sort of sit and make their minds blank and use their brains to understand the Rebbe, but not to think too deeply about what he was saying, or they simply couldn't contain all the information that he was putting out. So this is certainly good advice in general for receiving any information. It's true, over time, once you've collected that information, you might go over it again, you might get a deeper understanding of it. But this will, first of all, need to be based on the original words of the Mashpia, can't be a complete Chiddush. And only after it's had time to cook, it's had time to develop inside your mind. But before that, there needs to be complete surrender, complete surrender when it comes to understanding the concept, to uh, fully absorb it and to understand it. Only then can he put his own spin on it and become an Armeir, a source of light himself. When it comes to our generation, most of our neshamas are considered ermakabu. We don't have a lot of mashpiadik neshamas nowadays. Even in the earlier generations, there weren't a whole lot of them. Sorry, it's freezing while I'm scrolling up to the next column. There we go. I think I went way too high up because this doesn't seem right. Yep. I don't know. It keeps freezing on me. There we go. That makes more sense. That is, there weren't a lot of people who were, even in the previous generations, there were not a lot of people who were at the status of the Ura Mashpia. But... There is such a situation where a makabel will receive incredible help from on high and become a mashpia. There's like a gemara that says that even the even the guy who's not too bright, not too impressive, who's in charge of the people who dig wells, even that person is appointed by God. That is that every leader is appointed by God, even the leaders over relatively silly little things. So ultimately, even very small people can become mashpiyam, and that will only happen when God makes them mashpiyam. Uh, this is speaking to me specifically, I'm sure to other people too, but I, this one sure hits me right in the gut. He says, therefore, there are a lot of students who think or claim that uh, they don't really get much out of listening to a shir. They prefer to learn on their own. I was just like this in yeshiva. I didn't. I, I went to shir, but I didn't appreciate it. I preferred to learn on my own. It's, possible, it's, it's true that they are not enjoying learning by themselves. They're not satisfied by it. And in fact, going to a shir and hearing from a mashpia bothers them. So they found a result. They found a solution, which is learning on their own. But not, however, uh, because uh, since they don't know, they don't understand for the following reasons, possibly because they love themselves, possibly because they're grubkite, 
because they're very coarse and possibly because they are looking for a relaxing way of doing things. They're looking for the easy way out. They don't really, they don't really understand because of these reasons, they don't really understand or don't really seek out the real reason for why they don't enjoy listening to a mashpia. What's the real reason they don't enjoy listening to a mashpia? They haven't found the real reason. The Rebbe Rashab says, here's the reason why they really don't enjoy listening to the mashpia. They don't have a, they don't have enough surrender. They simply are bad macabre. That is that if a person is always trying to put their own spin on the information they have incoming, they're going to miss the incoming information. If they're going to miss the incoming information, they're not going to enjoy the incoming information. If a person has these and they turn themselves into a blank slate to listen to what somebody else is saying, they will enjoy listening to what other people are saying, especially when it's somebody who knows more than them, somebody who is betor mashpia. And uh, if they're a good macabre, they're going to enjoy the experience. Why do some people not enjoy the experience of being a macabre? Because they're not a good macabre. If he was good at it, he'd like it. And therefore, there's less satisfaction because he's not doing his job right. Since the Makabal is not a Makabal, the Mashpia is not a Mashpia, and he's not doing his job right. If he would give himself over completely during the time that he's receiving from his Mashpia, as explained earlier, he would not only be satisfied, he would be getting Einig from it. He would really enjoy the experience. Any Makabal is what he's saying here is that any good Makabal who's doing the Makabal job right will enjoy a Hashba. If it's not enjoyable, it's because we're not good Makabal. I think this is probably very, very broadly reaching. This certainly applies to listening to the Rebbe talk. This probably also applies to reading what the Rebbe says, to learning something like Chassidus or Esicha. Part of the reason why some people simply don't enjoy learning Torah, I think, is because they're thinking too much or they're thinking, they're thinking in the wrong way. I, uh, I've definitely learned with people. Um, I've definitely been in shiurim with people. They're the most annoying people in shiurim who <laughs> the entire time that somebody's teaching them, they keep on saying, well, how does that work with this? And how does that work with that? And the truth is they're not having fun. They're not having fun. The reason why they're not having fun is because they're missing these masros. So they're not getting sipuk. They're not getting tainag. They don't stick with such things. Somebody who really enjoys this, what they're doing is when they're listening, they're blank. Um, actually, I took this to such an extreme at some points in my life that uh, that I didn't have relationships with teachers. I always had the policy that I listened and didn't talk, and therefore most of them didn't know me. But <laughs> the truth is, this is the best way to receive information. If you really want to absorb something, you got to keep your brain on just enough to understand, but otherwise turn it off. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. That's what he's saying here. And so this per- these people who decided that because they're bad macabre, that they shouldn't be macabre, they're now learning on their own, and they're messing everything up. And eventually, if they keep on doing this, they're not going to be fixable. It is much harder to fix a broken clea than it is to make a new clea. So if they keep on doing this, they're going to break their, they're going to break their sense of a macabre. They're not going to be good at being a macabre. They're going to break their personal clea, and it's going to be very hard to fix. They might cause permanent damage to their absorption of information by not, uh, by, by disregarding the rules of absorbing information. You will not very quickly get to the level where you are able to succeed in learning on your own. Therefore, there has to be incredible effort put into understanding the things that you're receiving. Also, be very careful not to add in your own ideas. This doesn't mean don't make chedushin. This means don't make chedushin while you're listening to someone else talk. When the makabel does properly understand the things and they 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 imbue his soul, shake his soul. As at some point he will hopefully rise to the level where he can indeed learn on his own, and he can be at mar mayor himself. He can be a mashpia on his own efforts. So according to Rabbi Seligson, it certainly does match. This is what the Rebbe is talking about here when he says that when a Talmud of Tem is fulfilling the Hayraz of his Mashpia, he has his Masters and Bittel to his Mashpia. There's no room for his Masters and Bittel to anybody else in any other cause. He's completely given over. So there's no room for Shlichus. I wonder, 
and this is a total guess, if the Rebbe is saying that since this initiative came from the students, it shows that they're not necessarily in the right place, right? Because the, if the story goes, the students came to Rebbe Mendel and said, we're only going to listen to you, our mashpia, if the Rebbe tells us that we're shluchim. Uh, the Rebbe is saying here, why don't you look in Tera Shalom? You're not a makabal if you're not listening to your mashpia without, with, with complete ismasr. So you put your own ideas in this, making your own idea, inventing a shlichus. That's not the way that a tamim acts. So I'm wondering if maybe what he's saying in this letter is that a tamim cannot be the initiator of a shlichus because that proves he's not a tamim and therefore not fit to be a shliach. Whereas the Rebbe can send a tamim as a shliach because the Rebbe has control over all of the chassidim. I don't know. Um, but I will note right before we end, and then I'll open the floor, that I was looking in the Sefer Ateres HaShlichus and I was looking in the back, they have a list of letters that Rebbe wrote to set when he was sending out Tamidim HaShluchim. And I'm noticing that in a lot of these letters that Rebbe sort of emphasizes that the role of Tamidim HaShluchim is not to be Shluchim, but to just be Talmidim somewhere else. He says this very clearly in a couple of places. He says here, this is one that was sent to the Temechetim in Kfar Chabad, that we're going from Kfar Chabad to Migdal Emek, my yeshiva, to Migdal Emek, Ashrei Chalkam to Tamidim HaTemechetim. He says, happy is the portion of the students who are going from Kfar Chabad to Migdal Emek. They should go there with a chayas and with strength, as we spoke about, and it should be fulfilled through them, that God will open up the eyes of them and their students. So what's, what's the shlichus here? The shlichus is, I want you to go learn there and hopefully open up other people's eyes through your learning. There's another one that was sent in Tavshin Chavzayin. That's the last one I'm going to tell you. I didn't get a chance to put it on the screen. I'm sorry. Uh, he responded, we're not going to send students to you right now, to somebody who wanted them. Uh, and in the future, if we do send to you, if we do eventually send people to you, says the Rebbe, it will be people who will be there, it will be going there to learn and and will act with Yerushimayim, and will fulfill all the heiraz of your anhala. So don't expect to get shluchim, I'm just going to give you good bachrim. So it's possible that uh, a second possibility, or maybe sort of a dual possibility, in addition to the first guess, that Tmimim simply don't suggest their own shluchim because there's these masters. It also seems to me that the shlichas that the Rebbe gives to, to, to Talmidei shluchim is very specific. I mean, you might call it shlichas, but formally what it is, it's taking good bachrim and having them do the temchei Tmimim thing in a different temchei Tmimim, which uh, would not really be a stira to this letter. Okay, that's it. Please offer suggestions. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that um, I think the point is initiation, meaning the devil's like, I need you here, so go there. Then you become a shliach. If you're like, no, I, I don't want to go there, but because first of all, the, the disregard for the mashpia, I mean, the mashpia is saying, I think you should be here, and you're disregarding him, such a person can't be a shliach. I think that's what they were saying. Yeah, it can't be initiated by the, by the, by the, by the sendee. And again, it's, it's it's almost just a status thing, not a not not a shlichus means given over to the cause. Whereas if a person wants a title shliach, then he's not given over to the cause; he's given over to the title. 